that's okay. I probably won't need it, actually. Uh, I'm not going to need it. Ah. Okay, now we can sit down and start something else. <laughs> um, good to see everyone uh, again. Um, some of you, it's good to meet you today, which is nice. Um, others of you, it's great to see you again. It feels like a little while since I've seen some of you, which is really nice. Um, so what we're doing today, and what we've been doing the last, um, the last weeks, with a little break last week, but um, the last few weeks, is we've been going through the Stations of the Cross. We've been going through the Book of Mark for a while now. Um, a year? Almost, yeah, something like that, which has been great. Um, but now we're at the point where we're going through the Stations of the Cross, and so we're going to look at that today. So if you would, please turn to two different places. We're going to look at Mark 14. And then, however, um, we're going we're gonna to discuss a passage that to me means a lot. Um, because all my life, I feel like I've, I've kind of come back to this passage. Whether it be with confusion or frustration or with neither one of those, unfortunately. I'll kind of explain that. Uh, and knowing all too well about this passage. Um, and then, though, we're going to go and flip over to John. We're going to be in John 21 to kind of tell the rest of the story kind of thing. Um, you know, the Paul Harvey Super Bowl commercial makes me think of the rest of the story all the time now. So that's what we're going to do. Um, but uh, first, I just think it's, it's important for us to talk about this guy we're going to talk about today, Peter. Now we're going to look at this passage where Peter denies Jesus. Okay. So we have this guy, Peter, who um, for the last weeks... Has been, has been feeling pretty bold about himself, okay? Um, it, it's one of those things he must, feel, he must feel brave in his old age these days because the more he's been around Jesus, the more he kind of is, is falling for Jesus, right? And falling even for the way of Jesus. But, but it's also leading him to have some sort of seemingly false spiritual maturity here, okay? He's, he's been around, he's heard these things, he's, he's involved with Jesus, he seems to like him quite a bit, you know? And so he starts making very bold statements, okay? A few passages before the one we're going to talk about, he tells Jesus that he's not going to have to die, and Jesus has to tell him, get behind me, Satan. You don't, you don't know the ways of God. You're speaking as the ways of men speak, okay? And then he goes on, and Jesus is explaining that, that all will leave him, and he says, no, Jesus, I don't, I don't think you understand. You didn't hear me earlier. I am not leaving you. I, I never will. I'll never, ever go away from you. And then they go to a garden, and guys, guys show up to take Jesus, and Peter, in a moment of, of almost impressive fortitude, takes out a sword and tries to cut a guy's head off, okay? Because he, he cuts his ear. And, and I had this pastor one time try to tell me that he, only, he wasn't trying to kill the guy. And I was like, right, I know. He was just amazing aim and got only his ear, which he wanted, which is incorrect. So G- Peter apparently is angry and trying to stand for Jesus, right? So he tries to cut the guy's head off, which is interesting, in a stand for Jesus to cut his head off. And then uh, Jesus rebukes him and they go. And Jesus is taken away. And he's led away. And we find, we pick up in the story where Jesus is in a courtyard getting beat while blindfolded and um, getting spit on while they cover his face and being mocked, saying, prophesy who hit you, who struck you, Messiah. And they, they punch him and pull his beard and they, they abuse Jesus, this angry mob. And so then we find the story. It says this, 
And as Peter was below in the courtyard, starting in verse 66, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself by the fire, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know or understand what you mean. I love it. He played confused. I don't think I know what you're talking about when you say, surely I was with Jesus. Do you mean, surely I was with Jesus? Or you mean, like, lately I was with him? I don't think, I I don't understand what you mean. So I can't, I I, I deny it. I I don't know what you're talking about, right? And then she goes on. um, Or he says, and he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed one time. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are also a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear out loud, I do not know this man to whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter breaks down and weeps. Okay. I think, for most of us, we know this story all too well, right? We know this story too well. We come and we have an experience um, with this Jesus that we love. And we say, oh, I will be the perfect husband this week. Or we say, no, no, I'm going to be the woman you desire me to become this week. You say, with my coworkers this week, I will, I will be an actual blessing. I will not let my, my attitude or my mourning dictate my giving of blessing to my coworkers. I will not do this. I will not do that. Or, or I, will, I will actually stand and have a good response the next time someone says, where do you go to church? Or whatever you do. Or, or why do you love the orphan? What does it matter to you? This homeless guy, what does it matter? And we have these great visions of how we'll respond in life. We have great ideas and great hopes. I know I know I do for the husband I want to become. I have great hopes. And then all too often though, when crisis hits, we find ourselves breaking down after the rooster crows, right? And then all of a sudden, then it floods back and we remember. And we know in our heads that this story has to happen. It has to happen to Jesus right now. It's part of the prophecy of him being despised and rejected by many. It's a part of him being led away to slaughter by himself. This is all part of the grand narrative that that makes him so wonderful and so loving and so exciting to live by. But we know, too, that our role in the narrative is just sometimes not good. We know it. The first time I realized this, I, I grew up in a church, and so I had heard a lot of these stories. This is one, for some reason, I remember knowing very early on in life. I don't know why that that one was at VBS that week or something, but I learned this one early. And then the first time, and I remember this very clearly, which is really weird, I remember understanding that I was sometimes disappointing or that I would sometimes greatly disappoint myself or God or my family or whatever, and it's this. Uh, I was in second grade, I think, okay, or third grade. So I was little. I don't know how old a second grade or third grader is. Eight? Now, I'm looking, I looked back at Matthew, like, help me. You have all of those grades at your house. Please help me. So, sorry. So I don't know how old that kid is. So, so anyway, I was like a second or third grader, and my dad had always raised me. And one of the things we talked about openly at our house 
which was great now that I look back on it, and I hope to do the same, was he would always say, you need to stand up for the weak kid. So he's like, stand up for the weak kid, you know? Stand up for the kid that gets picked on. Stand up for the weak kid. You don't ever let someone pick on the weak kid. And so I, I took that pretty seriously, I think, most of my life. Until one day when um, we had this, this kid in my school named John Salee. He is not John Salee. And we called him Earl um, because he hated it, right? <laughs> I did great standing up for the weak kid, didn't I? So John Earl Salee. And we call him Earl. And he was just the kid that got picked on, right? And I remember never involving myself in that and always, like, helping John run away. Because you're kind of kidding. You know, it's not really. We're not going to really beat John up in second grade. But I remember it was a game. You go get John Salee in recess, and you go catch him, and you tackle him or something. Then he gets up, and he tackles you, and then you run off or whatever. But one day, we had, we had decided to give John Salee a wedgie, right? I know. it. So we go, and we chase John Salee down. And I remember it was just different. I remember because I involved myself this time, and I remember making a choice to do it. You know, I was like, today I'm going to help. I'm going to help get John Salee, right? And so we go chase him, and I remember it was just a different attitude. And this is so weird that as a second grader or whatever, I really do remember this. It was just a little bit different attitude, and we caught him, and we gave him a wedgie. We ripped his underwear, we gave him such a hard wedgie, right? It ripped his underwear. And I remember immediately feeling like intense shame, right? Intense shame. The other boys were laughing, you know, or whatever. And we're like, oh, they ripped John's underwear or whatever. And uh, John uh, starts crying because his underwear ripped. And he says, this is terrible. This is terrible. It makes me so embarrassed. And I'm standing there with him because I'm ashamed. And that's not my role, usually, in that pack of boys or whatever to do that. I'm standing there ashamed while John Slee's crying. He says, how am I going to tell my dad that I let people rip my underwear, right? Give me a wedgie. And I just was like, I don't know. And I just started crying with John Slee in second grade. And I remember just feeling so terrible of being part of something ugly, right? Being a part of something that was deeply, deeply wrong and not who I wanted to become. So against what my dad had taught me. And then I did it so gladly and felt so awful. And I was thinking about that this last week, (laughs) unfortunately, and just shame, you know, kind of creeps in again. Even when you're a second grader, you do something and you feel this. Then I was wondering how many of us feel this at different parts of our adulthood We know, maybe it's not so dramatic, but we know we've made grand promises to ourselves. And we know in our heads we want to be a blessing. We know we want to fulfill that covenant. We know it. We don't want Jesus to have to change the world alone or with someone else, right? Because we know the cross is about Jesus changing the world and saying, even if alone it is possible, God and I will do this. You can join me or you don't have to, but the world's going to be different because of him. And it's going to be great and the stories are going to be alive because of him. And we know in our heads we want to be a part of that. And then we also know that too often we're not. We know it. I, I know that in my heart, 
after a very normal, average, boring, lifeless week, I feel ashamed to not have been a part of the kingdom that week. I do, and I hate it. I feel so normal and average and unalive that I just, ugh, all weekend. I'd hate it. And I think we have moments this way. We're not the husband we dream to be. We know deep down that we don't parent how we dreamed of parenting when we first got started, right? We feel this way. Or maybe it's been more dramatic than that. We purposefully went against God's ways and said, no, thank you. Or we might have said, I don't know him. We might have lived an entire year of I don't know him. I don't understand what you mean, Christianity. Oh, I didn't hear what you said derogatory about the homeless person that I've come to know and pray for and love. I just, I didn't hear that. And we end up so disappointed. We end up in the midst of shame and frustration, right? Too much of the time, that's the end of our story, and we wallow in that. And all of our days end up being, no, let me get back to a place where I don't have to feel that, right? So then Jesus can use me again. That's pretty much the norm of what I thought the church's narrative was most of my life. I was like, I have to get back to a place now where God likes me, and Jesus and I have a right to be together, which is ridiculous, and then I can do something and live this life that I hoped for and dreamed for, and, and I want us to, to counteract that narrative with a different one in John, and this is, this is the passage we're going to be at in John. It's John, um, let me turn there also, John 21, and we'll look in verse 15, we're going to spend most of our time here, and it says this, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then feed my sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Now, this passage can seem confusing because, and it was always confusing to me because Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yeah. He says, okay, feed my sheep. Do you love me more than these? He says, yeah. He says, feed my sheep. And it's so confusing in that way. But here's the deal. We miss it because we're not reading in Greek. And this is, this is the truth of it, okay? Um, in, in the Greek, it's very, very different. And we have to, we have to talk about a little bit of um, uh, word kind of uses in the Greek language real fast. And it's this. Love, we have this word for love in English, right? And it's, it's a good word. We use it a lot. I say to my wife, I love you. I say to pizza before I eat it, I love you, you know? I say to my friends, Tyler and Larkin, I love you when we leave dinner. You know, we have all of these different terms for how we share affection, but we, we call it one word where you say, we love you right? And it's confusing, but we kind of understand the meaning attached to it. Well, in Greek, they had a many, many, many different words for love, okay? And three main ones were used in scripture, 
Okay, they wouldn't just say, I love pizza, I love my wife, I love my children. They would be more specific about it because uh, they were more awesome. Okay? So they would say, they had these three words um, that they used most of the time in scripture. One of them was eros, okay? one phileo, and one agape. Right? And eros was one used for um, a more sexual, erotic love between a husband and a wife. And so when you were saying to your spouse that you love them, you might invoke that word and invoke that feeling and it was just for them. You obviously wouldn't say uh, Eros pizza. Okay, you don't, it's not a good choice. So, you, know, you don't want to do that. Right? So, so you, you wouldn't say that. That was a mistake to say that. But anyway, so you wouldn't say that. Um, and the other one, we're going to leave Eros behind now. So the other one that you would use often was phileo. Okay? And you would say phileo, obviously um, we get the word Philadelphia sort of derives sort of from there. But it's like brotherly affection. It's like a love that you would have for a friend or for someone close to you or for um, someone that has invoked deep compassion or friendship or whatever. So when I would talk to, again, Tyler or Cody when I'm hanging out with them, I would say, I phileo you, maybe when we leave, if I was Jewish back in the day and speaking that language. I would say that, okay? It means I love you like a brother. My affections are tied to you in this way. All right, but then there was another uh, way to say love, and that's agape. Agape, we're probably familiar with this. Agape would mean I love you with such an unconditional, deep sense of, of commitment and respect, even reverence sometimes mixed in there, and with such passion that you would say, I agape you. And it was rare to use this word, and it meant a ton, okay? It wasn't, we, we say it flippantly even now, because I don't think we understand what the Greeks would say for agape, because they had nine other words for love they could use, and so they didn't need to use agape much. That one was extremely special and extremely important and fit for a king, but only when he asked for it. It was, it was a very serious form of love, a very serious form of you can do whatever you choose to me and my agape is still tied to you. You have it in your hands and can use it wherever you will. That's agape. Agape is a big deal. Okay. Agape is more than most marriages would be. Okay. Hopefully, of course, and why I even said that, I was like, oh, but not mine, hopefully, you know, right? But even in that day, that wouldn't even be what they would use Maybe even for their favorite person unless they really, really meant it. All right, agape is a big deal. Jesus, when he comes to Peter over breakfast, after Peter has made his biggest disappointment and has wept bitterly and has only seen him now for the third time since disappointing himself, everyone around him, and denying and letting them beat his best friend, his master, his Lord, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Peter answers back, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. He says, feed my sheep. They sit there a little longer, and Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. He says, feed my lambs. And then the last time, listen to what Jesus says. It's so, uh, he says, Peter, do you merely phileo me? Peter answers Jesus, upset at himself. 
He answers Jesus, Lord, you know all things. Of course you know that I merely phileo you. In the Greek, they have this exchange, you know I merely have phileo for you. Is kind of how it's whatever. Here's what's amazing. Jesus asked him, do you love me with such passion and unconditional, unconditional fervor that you would do whatever for me, no matter the cost, whatever I did to you, you would always answer back agape. Do you have that? And Peter says, I'm going to be honest for once in my life. No, I don't. I have phileo for you. I do love you, but it's a very, very controlled, very, very safe affection that I have for you, my brother Jesus. And again, Jesus says, no, no, do you have agape for me? Peter again says, no. You know all things. I have phileo for you. And then Jesus again, is it only phileo you have for me? Peter says, of course. I'm honest. Yes, that's it. To Peter's great disappointment, I think, he admits this finally. He has moments at dinner, the Last Supper, where he threatens to kill anyone that's going to come take Jesus, right? He says, no, over my dead body will they take you. Voicing agape with his action, voicing agape with his machismo, with his, with his intentions, right? His intentions were all agape. And when it comes down to it, it was phileo at best. And now Peter understands that that's true. And do you know what happens next in the midst of phileo? Jesus says, oh, then feed my sheep. I'm going to take you places you never thought you would go. I'm going to start on you, my very church, that will touch the face of the known world. Even if it's phileo, let's do this. The great thing is Jesus answers Peter's honesty with hope here. He doesn't say, well, then you need to agape me so that you can change the world. He doesn't say, well, then step it up, grow your affections, sing more songs, do, do something. He doesn't say, well, then go serve a little more so that you can love me a little better and actually do something. He says, that is okay. You are right where I want you to be. Let's change the face of this thing. Let's do this. Right now, feed my sheep. And I love it because in the midst of my disappointing, what I envision of my disappointing the Holy Spirit over and over again, and maybe my family over and over again, and myself for sure, daily, Jesus clearly asks, you know, do you agape me? And most of the time, honestly, it would be, I phileo you, I love you safely. I love you when it's convenient. And Jesus still says, feed my sheep. Here's the thing about Jesus that I love so much in the midst of this. So we talk about the stations of the cross. We're going to be seeing a lot about Jesus' true character here. And one of the things about Jesus is his redemption is just relentless. Over breakfast, to the shamed man in front of his friends, asks him, do you still want a place at my table? Do you still want this adventure that's the kingdom of God? 
Because if you do, <laughs> life's to the full, right? But he again and again and again reinstates, and he again and again and again forgives us, and he again and again offers the kingdom to us, offers life abundant to us, offers life to the full, and we don't deserve it, and at best, all we have to offer is phileo. And he says, let's go feed the sheep. Let's go bless the world now. That is the Jesus we love and celebrate. Not the one that says, conjure up some agape so that we can actually make a difference. Conjure up something that you really don't even have in the first place, but pretend it really, really good so that you can convince the world of something and debate them into belief. He never lives this way, and yet our, our hearts and affections somehow are still tied to that. Jesus says, no, let's, let's just feed the sheep. Do you merely flail me? Yes, Peter says. He says, that's what I thought. I know. Understand that even in that moment, I can use you and want to. It is my joy to have you. What a great lesson for the disciples sitting around the fire. (laughs) To hear the once brash man say, all I have is this. And Jesus say, that is what I want. And so he tells us still, I think, the same thing. He asks us, what do you have to give? And whatever it is, he wants it deeply. This is a good place to start for us, okay? Whatever the place is, whether it's a hopeful week or a disappointing one, this is a good place to start. You all need to hear that. I need to hear that. This is the time right now. Okay? This, this is the, the moment. This is the one he wants you in. All right? So what we're going to do is we're going to think about this. Um, we're about to have communion. The band's going to come. I'm going to pray for us real quick and explain kind of where we go from here at A&C with worship. So if you would, bow your heads. Lord, we, uh, we want to trust that you want our agape and our phileo as well. That you even see our mere curiosity and love it. And so I pray that you would somehow convince us of this because this is hard. For me to believe sometimes, quite honestly. And I know some of my friends here, it is hard for them to believe. So I pray you convince us. And I pray that you allow us to be pulled closer to you by your relentless redemption, by your relentless wanting for us to have life to the full and for your relentless love of the kingdom for which we get to be a part. We love you a lot. Please help us all the more. Um, In Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to do, we're going to continue our time in worship. Um, Malsi's going to come in just a little bit and lead us in communion. Um, But here's how that works.
here at ANC. I'm going to ask you to stand in a little bit. Uh, Malsi is going to read a liturgy of response, and we will we'll answer her in this litur- liturgy of response. And then we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together, and the band is going to begin to play, and we're going to begin to worship. Um, at any time you feel that, uh, that you're ready or that you want to, go have communion. There is communion in the back, um, two stations. Just take the bread, dip it into the cup, take communion, and then go back to your seat and continue to worship. All right? So go ahead. Please stand. Malsi's going to come. <laughs>